0: Hi, I'm Chris Clink, and you're listening to my Writing Table podcast. Raina Genton attended college and law school at Yale and practiced as an appellate attorney with a public defender's office before turning to writing full-time. She has studied at the Writing Institute at Sarah Lawrence College, and her work has been published widely online and in print. Her debut novel, a romantic legal thriller entitled Unreasonable Doubts, was named a finalist for the Women's Fiction Writers Association Star Award in 2019. Raina lives with her family in Scarsdale, New York, and her latest novel, Both Are True, is contemporary fiction set in New York City.
1: Welcome, Raina. Thank you for having me.
0: Raina, Alyssa Friedland, author of Last Summer at the Golden Hotel, describes your latest work as a love story you'll think about long after you
1: turn the last
0: page. Tell us about both are true.
1: So it's actually kind of an unconventional love story. And that's how I think about it because the couple is together at the beginning of the book and they hit the rocks pretty fast. Um, So the reader is kind of watching them go through their growth process and trying to figure out whether they belong together or they don't belong together. The female protagonist is named Jackie Martin and she's a family court judge and she's kind of controlling. She's controlling in her courtroom and she was controlling in her love life and she has some lessons to learn about stepping back and about, you know, compassion and letting people be who they are. And the male uh, protagonist is named Lou Greenberg, and he's an internet blogger. He writes a column for a women's internet magazine, and he kind of fancies himself a sensitive guy. He thinks he knows what women want, and that's kind of how he portrays himself. When things get tough, he leaves, and that's kind of his MO. And he needs to be on a journey to figure out what commitment means and what he wants out of life and out of love. So, you know, they kind of wind themselves back and forth towards each other. And uh, without giving anything away, they they end up in Jackie's courtroom when Lou's stepdaughter gets arrested and charged with, with a crime. Is this considered romance or women's fiction? We're not calling it romance. There's nothing explicit in it. A few readers have commented that it's it's a sweet kind of romance. You know, there's love. (laughs) You know, we're marketing it as women's fiction because that's mostly who would read this sort of book, I think. But You know, the male protagonist story is is really pretty strong. You know, hence the title, Both Are True. You're really kind of seeing the relationship and the story from both perspectives. So the men who have read it have really enjoyed it.
0: Romance is part of the story, but not the entire story. Am I getting that right?
1: You're definitely getting that right. Also, I have the dual POV and they actually have equal numbers of chapters. They just alternate. But I know that that is definitely a romance genre kind of technique. And, you know, I hope people are not, looking exactly for that when they pick up the book, because it's not, you know, it's not going to be exactly that. There's resolution at the end, but it's not necessarily the resolution you might think.
0: Because this is women's fiction and you have such a strong male story.
1: Did you get any pushback? Um, No, I wouldn't say I got pushback. I think I had to change some things along the way in the revision process to make it a little stronger on the woman's side. Original last chapter was told from Lou's perspective and mm-hmm. someone said, you cannot do that. <laughs> she has to own the ending of this story. And I was like, well, all right, you know, so I just wrote another chapter and, you know, made her own the ending of the story. <laughs> me, wasn't that critical because I love them both. <laughs> and I am so happy to see them both grow up and find out what they need that I'm not myself wed to the idea of, women's fiction, but I know that fiction is definitely read a lot more by women. And, you know, this would definitely fall into the category of women's fiction. What inspired you to write this novel? So I have actually written an earlier novel um, that came out a few years ago that was more I don't want to say autobiographical, but it was definitely my first try at something, you know, to write fiction. And I had recently left the practice of law, and it was told from the perspective of a public defender, which was the job that I had for many, many years. And I kind of felt like I, I mean, I loved the book, and it was in some ways you know, very therapeutic process <laughs> to write it. But I kind of felt like I had gotten that story out of my system. Like I loved talking about it. I loved doing book groups, but I would get like a lot of personal questions all the mm-hmm. time because it was clearly reflective of my life. People knew what job I had had. You know, the book itself had a, a legal story of a case that I had worked on. So people wanted to know how it had gone down in real life and all these things. So this book, Both Are True, is is really very different. It's not me, <laughs> which is a good feeling. Um, <laughs> it's not my husband, which is a good feeling, does reflect, you know, I also have worked for a number of years in family court and and it does have that as a big element in the book. So, you know, if you're a person that doesn't like to read about legal things and legal cases, you know, then maybe it's not for you, but I find most people do. I mean, it's kind of all those people that watch, you know, CSI or whatever all those shows are that involve. Oh, yeah, and legal and... yeah, all those ones. So and it's certainly not told in any technical way or in any way that right. people didn't understand. But I, I really think that family court is like the hotbed of emotion when it comes to legal cases. I mean, it's really where the rubber hits the road. I mean, it's parents, you know, fighting with each other, parents losing their kids, you know, custody battles, kids who have gone astray and are now in trouble, domestic violence. I mean, it's everything. It's like no holds barred. I mean, people are really out there with their emotions. And I just think it's a fascinating place and, you know, to have the protagonist be a judge, you know, she's right in the middle of it. And, you know, when you go to family court, the judges, they seem kind of cool and collected, right? Like it's not their lives that are falling apart and they're there to do a job. But on the other hand, you know, it has to be affecting them. You know, that's a lot about, you know, what the book's about. Is Jackie learns a lot about families and about love from seeing what goes on in front of her and learning how to handle it and how to manage it and how to be compassionate and you know so that that's kind of how I got into it. I, I really wanted to portray that and you know and Lou is as I say this blogger but he has greater aspirations he wants to write he wants to really write fiction and you know that's obviously somewhere we've all been and you know how do you do that and how do you get into it and how do you find inspiration and how do you keep hitting your head against the wall when you don't find what you need So you know it kind of allowed me to tell those two stories. There's definitely a lot of passion in that
0: courtroom, sure. you know, with families. I cannot imagine what all you've seen and what your protagonist has seen. And I've never really thought about how when you're forming your characters, how a judge would be jaded maybe a little bit. And I don't know that your character is, but I can see how a judge might be jaded somewhat if they're not married yet in getting married, because they've seen so much blow up, you know, in front of their very eyes, a fresh take on relationships. So. Yeah,
1: She, she goes I, in with, you know, a very firm conviction that absentee dads are like the root of all evil, like that that's what makes all these families fall apart. And then, you know, the kids don't have role models and the women are handling everything themselves. And, you know, she begins to learn that it's not that simple. Like not every absentee dad is evil. She learns if through Lou because she doesn't know it at the beginning, but he's also had a child that he has not been caring for. And, and, but it gets complicated, right? It's not, mm. it's not what it would seem. And you don't know when you're watching. And I mean, I, I've seen so much as you say, but it's also, you know, a lot of it, you're creating it in your head, even, even as the judge, she has to be right. Like there's only so much she's going to know about any particular family or any particular story that's in front of her and they're doing the best they can, but you know, sometimes they fail too. And she fails kind of critically at one moment. It's a real turning point for her.
0: How did your path shift from law to fiction?
1: So I had been practicing as a public defender um, and I was doing criminal appeals. So all the people that I was representing had already been convicted of felony offenses um, in New York. And in New York, you get one chance and an appeal to a intermediate, you know, a higher court. And when you're working in a public defender's office, you get assigned whatever case you're assigned. There's no picking your clients. You know, you find something to write for your client. I was there uh, almost 18 years and the stories were fascinating. The work was really great and it was interesting and it was, you know, just as a mom, a doable thing. Their deadlines weren't crazy and there were times when I could work from home. So it was all kind of going along swimmingly for quite a while. And then it kind of got to a point where I just couldn't write the stories anymore. And it really is like writing a story. You know, you're trying to find something redemptive to say about the person who's done something really bad. And, you know, often it's a straight legal issue. And then it's not so hard because you have the law on your side. (laughs) But when you don't have the law on your side, you're pulling together all sorts of things to try to come up with something So that the panel of judges, you know, thinks that your person deserves another chance. And it's really stressful and hard work. And after a while, I just, I got to a point where I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore. So, so I actually quit without having any idea what I was going to do with my time. I mean, I knew I liked to write. I had been writing, you know, obviously professionally. For many many years, and then a friend asked me to go with her to a class at a local. We have a university here that has a, what they call a writing institute for adults. You know, not for credit; you pay for classes. And I went with her, and uh, it was a memoir class. And I thought, well, this is completely ridiculous because I, I don't have that kind of life. I'm not writing memoir, like you know, that's just not my thing. You know, but I learned a lot, and I learned that memoir, in its most basic form, is like writing small stories out of your life. Like it's not necessarily writing, you know. I was born. And so, you know, it's not like (laughs) tracing your whole life and coming up to that great moment where you, you know, you cured cancer or whatever it is like, it's, you know, it's what was your relationship with your mother or what was your relationship with a friend? And I wrote a lot of pieces. I took the class for a year. I wrote a lot of small pieces and then I ended up kind of realizing at the end that maybe I could turn it into a novel and as I say so the first book was very much me and many of the characters were inspired by real people and things that had happened in my life but it was great because it was like a real starting point you know I had something that I could transform from memoir into fiction that's how I got there haven't really stopped since that was 2015
0: so and that's really cool you segue from writing other people's stories where so much is at stake so like it's you know, it's it's a bad thing personally if your book isn't successful, but nobody's either staying right. in jail or or going to jail because of it. To be able to do that, it's got to feel a little a
1: little bit more free. It did. Right? It, did. it was it was liberating.
0: Debut novels teach us a lot about writing and editing. So I'm curious between your first novel and this one, what did you do differently?
1: I don't think I did that much differently, but I think I realized earlier on in the second what I needed to do. I think having people read and critique is like critical. And I kind of delayed that the first time around because I didn't know, like I, you know, I felt like I had a draft. I started sending it out. You know, I had no idea the level of revision that goes on, you know, and you know, to the point where afterwards I was in writing groups, I, I hired an editor, like, I, you know, I, I did all sorts of things eventually, <laughs> but, I, but I would say, I, you know, I don't want to say I wasted a lot of time at the beginning, but I definitely, I didn't get that it's not a solo effort unless, you know, I look, I'm sure for some people it is, but if you've never written a novel before, it's pretty hard to just write it and get it right, right off the bat. So I would say the second time I definitely like progressed from that in that I got into the whole revision thing and having people read faster than I did the first time. And I just think the writing got tighter. Like I think I had a better sense of there didn't need to be extraneous things in there. There didn't need to be also because I wasn't writing so much from truth. So like the first time around, like I would write something and if it wasn't actually what had happened, you know, a fictionalized account of, what had happened, I got nervous, like, Oh, how can I say that? That's not how it went down in real life, you know, but then, you know, now, and this book, it's not coming from real life. Like, you know, you know, you know, you can do it and you don't have to feel wed to some version of something that happened, you know, in your actual life. So I think it's just more like a maturing, honestly, than anything else. You know, I don't think I, I don't think I did things that much differently. I just think I looked at it in a different way. You
0: know, the other thing you said about writing tighter, I mean, do you find that when you're writing, maybe there's a description or something and you're typing and then you go, oh, the reader doesn't really care about that.
1: Do you right. find that, so if, that you uh, didn't find that the first time? Because everything seemed interesting to me. To yeah. Me. <laughs> you just <laughs> yeah. kind of wed to your own words. Like you're like, wow, this sounds good. So now, yeah, definitely. I think I look at it more critically. What are you writing now? So I found COVID honestly a difficult time to write. Thankfully, nobody's been sick here. We've all been healthy, but my husband's still working from home. I had both my college age kids home for a long time and I just couldn't find the space in my head to do much. So I I have started a new project. I'm maybe 50 pages in and I just actually joined a new writing group. So I'm really hoping that that will help me, you know, get motivated again, but it's, I, I found it hard. I just found the whole, even when you weren't actually in lockdown or trapped in your house, you kind of felt like you were trapped in your house. Like it feels like there's nowhere to go now, even though we can kind of get out again. And I, it's just, It's not a good feeling and it's not a free feeling in my head. I'm trying to take it easy on myself and say, you know what? When it's time to really buckle down and write again, I will. The words will come when they're ready. That's what I think. Sometimes I'll read a book now and I'll say like, wow, I wish I could write like that. Like I just read, um, I don't know if you've read uh, Lily King's Writers and Lovers. And I was like, I wish I could write like that. Like It's just, you know what? There was nothing flowery about it. There was nothing out there. It was just so... I'm kind of tender and on target. And, you know, there's, there's people I read now that I say, wow, you know, that that's really great. But
0: you've also written a book for younger readers. So what inspired you to write? My name is Layla.
1: So uh, my name is Layla is a middle grade book. It's for uh, sort of ages, maybe 10 to 14, something like that. And it's been actually a wild experience. I was inspired to write it. Honestly, once again, I took a class and I didn't know going in what I was going to write about, but it was a class for writing for children. Um, and you had to have pages ready each week for the class. And so I wrote a chapter a week of this middle grade book. I didn't really look ahead. I didn't you know, plan it out. And By the end, you know, it was a two semester class. By the end of the year, I had a pretty decent draft of this book. And it's about a young girl with undiagnosed dyslexia who also just has a lot on her plate. She's being raised by a single mom. You know, she struggles in school. And when she is going into eighth grade, she gets assigned to an English teacher who's new to the school and doesn't have any kind of preconceived notions about her, which has kind of been what's plagued her all along. Each grade they get to, they already know that she's not a great student and whatever. And no one's really taken the time to see that she has an actual issue that could be addressed. So she gets this new English teacher and he realizes her potential and it kind of goes off from there. But it's been interesting. It came out in January, kind of at the height of the pandemic And it's a book that needs to be in schools. Like if I can't get into schools, it's not gonna, you know, really starting slowly now. But certainly I'm I'm in New York and, you know, here in January, everything was still remote. So we'll see. It's been slightly disappointing that way because it's, it's gotten really a nice reception from the reviewers and people that have read it. And I think it will be great for kids both in special needs schools and kids that need to have their sensitivity (laughs) raised. About their classmates. Yeah, about their classmates and not just about dyslexia. The real message of the book is that everybody's got something. You don't don't know what's going on in people's homes. You don't know what's going on in their health. You don't know maybe they have a, a parent who's unemployed or they have a relative who's suffering from a mental illness. You have no idea. So the idea of being kind to people and being helpful and being aware... It's really critical. It's something that I think kids get a little bit closed off and there are bubbles and they don't really see. So we'll see, we'll see. It's been, it, it's been an interesting experience, but it was a great story to write.
0: It sounds like you've got a knack for telling those heartfelt stories. <laughs> especially <Yeah. Like, laughs> like
1: the heartstrings. What
0: surprised you most about the writing life?
1: What surprised me and what's been also gratifying is that, you know, it can be a lonely experience and you have to work on creating your community. And I didn't really know that I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about, you know, obviously you think, Oh, the person's writing, they're sitting in the Starbucks or they're sitting in their office or wherever they're sitting, but it's much more than that. It's, it's really, you're kind of, you're alone in your head (laughs) and you're alone in the writing and you need to be, you know, really proactive in making a group of people for yourself that understands what you're doing. And, you know, even to the point where like with the new book, like I finally felt, you know, and this has been whatever, six or seven years I've been at this, that I knew enough people in the community that it wasn't hard to reach out for blurbs, for example. Like, you know, the first book, it was hard. I was writing cold to people and, and it worked out. It was fine. But, you know, now I actually knew some people and, I, you know, because of COVID and because of geography or whatever, I can't say that I've met so many of these people actually in person, (laughs) but I feel like I know them, you know, and and we've corresponded and we've read each other's books and we have a sense, you know, which Facebook groups are they in and which critique groups are they in? And that was surprising because I came from a world where I had colleagues, you know, I worked in public defender's office and there were 30 other attorneys and we would bounce things off each other and we would be with each other. And, you know, it was like a ready-made community because you were there. And this is so very different
0: like you have to find your community from inside your house. Right. You know, and, <laughs>
1: right. And, Absolutely. Yeah, it,
0: it's like build the map of the town around you, but don't leave your house.
1: Right. <laughs> what are you reading right now? I'm actually reading a new book by a teacher of mine. Um, His name is Steve Lewis, and he teaches at Sarah Lawrence College. And the book is called The Lights Around the Shore. It's a wonderfully tender and evocative book about a guy who's aging. He's probably, you know, he's probably the same age as the author. (laughs) Um, He's like a 75-year-old guy. And, you know, just what you go through at that age and what the loss and trying to relate to your children. and, And I'm really enjoying it. Sounds really beautiful.
0: In your view, what is good writing?
1: Good writing to me is something that makes you feel and makes you think. I don't labor over my language. Maybe I should more. I don't know. But I'm not a descriptive writer. I would never sit down and write a whole, you know, three paragraphs about The scene, you know, outside the window that the protagonist is looking at, that's just not the way I write. Yeah, I mean, to me, you want to kind of cut to the heart of it and, you know, say, what is this person thinking? And how do you think about her based on what she's thinking? (laughs) And how does what she's doing make you feel?
0: And what's the best writing advice you've received?
1: Uh, You know, mostly just to get it down on paper. If you don't have something down on paper, there's nothing to revise. So even if first... Stab at what you're writing ends up not making it past your you know past your printer um you know just get it down because that's you know you have to start somewhere thank you reina thanks so much for having me to learn more visit reina martyr
0: music by pavel Newton and photography by casey mineke sound editing by podcast engineers If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review.